Hey, Door Creek, how are you doing today? Good, good. Whether this is your first time with us or you're here every weekend, it is so great to be with you all. My name is Tyler Sodebeer, and I'm on the teaching team here at Door Creek. Uh, but specifically, my role here, I serve as the student ministry pastor at our Sprecher Road campus. And I always consider it to be such a privilege to be able to share God's word with you. And in three weeks, me, along with 34 other people, are going to be headed to La Ceiba, Honduras, uh, to partner with one of our Golder partners. And while there, um, we're going to have the opportunity to work with kids in an after-school program. We're going to have the opportunity to host an outreach to the community. We're going to have the opportunity to pray with patients in a medical clinic. And this is my favorite part. We get to be a part of building a home and bunk beds for a family in need. And after we build it, we get to present it to them and just see the expression on their faces. And so thank you so much for uh, supporting our partnership in La Ceiba. I know the church down there expresses their gratitude. But if you'd ever like to learn more about what it would look like to go on a trip to La Ceiba, please come and talk to me after service. Or if you'd like to learn more about this opportunity that our students are going on in a few weeks, please talk to my friends at the community development desk outside of live. As we begin our time today, I would love to ask you all a series of questions. But here's the deal. I want you to answer them honestly. And I want you to keep track of, of how many that you answered yes to. So to do this, maybe write down one to eight on a piece of paper or in your phone and then simply put Y or N for each of them. All right, here we go. Question number one. Do people annoy you when they tell you that you don't look so good lately? <laughs> Do you worry at night, have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep? The last part is especially true if you have kids at home. Does the pace and state of your life cause you to see family and friends less and less? Do you suffer from frequent aches and illnesses, headaches, back, neck, or stomach aches, or lingering colds? Do you feel less effective than before, or do you work harder only to accomplish less? Do you often experience unexplained times of sadness, almost like a dark cloud is hanging over you? Do you find yourself blaming others, whether it be family, friends, coworkers, and even God, more frequently? Does experiencing joy and peace feel more like a fairy tale that is impossible to attain than a possible reality? Take a moment and reflect on how you answered on these questions. If any of you answered no to all of them, let me tell you, I need to learn from you after service because you obviously have a lot to tell me. But if you answered yes to at least four or more of them, it's okay because you're not alone. You see, this brief questionnaire is one that many doctors and healthcare professionals use in order to identify the symptoms of burnout and depression. Simply put, burnout occurs when a person is emotionally, physically, relationally, and spiritually running on empty. And then depression occurs when we experience times of loss and when we experience intense feelings of hopelessness, sadness, and discouragement. Both are on the rise in America. In fact, many healthcare professionals have classified both burnout and depression as being an American epi epidemic. According to recent Gallup polls, over 60% of all Americans who work will suffer from burnout. And the crazy thing is that these polls don't even reflect um, the burnout levels from people who have one of the hardest jobs in America, and that's being a stay-at-home parent. Am I right, babe? 
So the number of Americans who actually suffer from burnout in America in our country is actually much higher than this. And likewise, the American Psychological Association estimates that more than 16 million Americans will suffer from the side effects and symptoms of depression each and every year. Unfortunately, no one, even those of us in the church, are immune from the consequences and the effects of burnout and depression. For the last several weeks, we've been in our Big Mistakes Lesson Learned series, in which we've been taking a look at the mistakes that the men and women of the Bible have made, and then looking at the lessons that we can learn from their life. What I absolutely love about the Bible, it tells the unscripted stories of real people who face real challenges and made real mistakes in their quest to know and obey and experience the real and living God of the universe. God doesn't ask or allow the Bible's authors to blot out or edit out their mistakes and weaknesses of his people because he's the real God who provides them real unending love, grace, and mercy. Today, we're gonna be taking a look at a person named Elijah, who the book of Hebrews describes as being a real human, just like us, that suffered from both burnout and depression. You see, Elijah's big mistake was that there was a time and season in his life where he allowed his burnout and depression to get the best of him. By failing to look in and to look up, Elijah wasn't able to look out and live out God's plan and purpose for his life. Before we dive deeper into Elijah's story, can you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the Bible. God, I thank you so much that it's alive and active and is able to pierce any heart that's overcome with burnout or depression or any pain that they're facing. And God, I thank you that it's a real book that tells the real stories of people who struggled in their quest to know you, the real living God of the universe. God, as we open up your book, I pray that you would open up the eyes of our heart to be able to hear what you have to say to us in regards to burnout and depression. In your precious and holy name, amen. This morning, we're gonna be taking a look at Elijah's big mistake as told in 1 Kings 19. So as you're turning there in your Bibles or you're clicking to them in your phone, uh, let me briefly set the stage for you about what was taking place in Elijah's life before the events happened to him in 1 Kings 19. Elijah's name literally means Yahweh is my God. And God called him to be a prophet and he gave him the challenging task of preaching his word to the people of Israel and their leaders and to warn them against the consequences if they were to follow other gods. The people of Israel during Elijah's lifetime were ruled by King Ahab who was married to a Canaanite woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel convinced Ahab to remove God completely from the land of Israel so that they could worship her god, Baal. And despite Elijah's best efforts, both King Ahab and Queen Jezebel refused to listen to God's warnings for what would happen if they were to worship this false god. And up until Elijah's life and ministry, he had seen God do some pretty incredible things. God used Elijah to predict a two-year drought to King Ahab as a result of his promoting Baal worship. And God actually sent Elijah ravens in the desert to feed him when he was starving. And Elijah was given the supernatural power to heal a sick widow's son who was on the brinks of death. And if this wasn't already an incredible testament to God's power being on full display in Elijah's life, he was actually about to see God do something even greater in 1 Kings 19, 
right before his season of burnout and depression took place. In 1 Kings 18, we see the prophet Elijah take on the 450 prophets of Baal in front of all the Israelites and the king and queen of Israel at Mount Carmel. In this ultimate showdown, he has the 450 prophets prepare a sacrifice on a wood and stone altar, but he tells them to not start it on fire. And Elijah agrees to do the same. But this is where the challenging really gets interest, the challenge really gets interesting. He tells them to call on their god Baal and to ask him to start their sacrifices on fire, while he calls on his god Yahweh to do the same. Elijah bets and he wagers that whatever God answers their prayers first to start their sacrifices on fire could truly be declared the real God of Israel. So Elijah allows the 450 prophets to go first. During their attempts to get their God's attention, Elijah actually begins to make fun of Baal by telling the 450 prophets that to yell louder because maybe their God is sleeping or is on vacation. And so from sunrise to sunset, they call on Baal to start their sacrifice on fire, but nothing happens. After waiting his turn patiently, Elijah raises the stakes even harder in order to prove that Yahweh is the true God of Israel. He has some, some bystanders pour nine gallons of water on his altar, making it literally impossible for it to start in fire without the help of divine intervention. Then Elijah looks up to heaven and says, God, let it be known today in Israel that you are the true God of your people. Answer my prayer so that their hearts can turn back to you. And we read that before Elijah can even say amen, God instantly sends fire from heaven to burn up Elijah's sacrifice. It says that the fire is so hot that it consumes the nine gallons of water, the wood and the rocks and the altar with no problem. And instantly the people of Israel fall to their knees and begin worshiping God. Then Elijah commands these people who repented to capture these 450 prophets and Elijah puts them to death. So behind this backdrop is when our story of 1 Kings 19 takes place. Let's look and learn from Elijah's big mistake. Picking up on verse one. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be ever it so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down underneath it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. Elijah, with God's help, had literally just won the spiritual Super Bowl at Mount Carmel. And while it wasn't even a contest, and he and God won by a landslide, you think that he would have been excited and would have at least gone to his modern-day equivalent of Disney World. But instead of going off someplace to celebrate, having a parade, or riding off into the sunset in triumph, we see God's guy, Elijah, run away from where he just was, and we find him sitting underneath a tree wanting to quit. He says, God, I give up. Take my life. I am no good. So what caused Elijah to lose his perspective of the vision, the purpose that God had for his life? Well, I believe it's because Elijah failed to look in at what was going inside of him that he wasn't able to look out and see God's plan and purpose for his life. From what I can tell and from what commentators suggest, it was that Elijah was running on empty. He was burned out. 
And this caused him to be very depressed. The cause of Elijah's burnout and depression came as a result of his failure to look in at what was internally going on inside of him, spiritually and emotionally. He had just taken on the king and queen of Israel and the people of Israel for their cult worship. Today, this would be the modern day equivalent if one person tried to take on the president of the United States and the entire Catholic church at the same time. And relationally, up until this point, we don't read that Elijah really had any true friends or companions. And actually, in this section of verses, we read that he had one sole servant. And in verse three, he isolates himself even further by saying goodbye to his only mentioned friend. So relationally, he was all alone in the midst of his pain and depression. And physically speaking, from the time he traveled in 1 Kings 17 to where we read and find him in 1 Kings 19, he actually traveled almost 200 miles on foot. And chances are, as he was running for his life, he probably didn't take the time to take a nap or sleep very much. And chances are, he probably didn't find a lot of food to eat. So as you can imagine, he was emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and physically exhausted. His burnout level had reached maximum capacity. And because he was in this perpetual state of burnout and failed to look in, Elijah easily, easily lost his perspective of the vision and the plan that God had for his life. Go back to verse one. We'll find out why Elijah was so able to, easily able to lose his perspective. We read that Jezebel sent a message through, messenger, through a messenger to Elijah that she was gonna come after and kill him like he did her 450 prophets. What's really interesting about this is that historically Jezebel was known for dealing ruthlessly with anybody that opposed her. So why didn't she send assassins unannounced to kill this guy? And, and why didn't she actually try to pursue him on foot instead of just sending a simple message to Elijah that she might go after him? Well, here's what I think. I believe it's because Jezebel, number one, was afraid of Elijah's God, but she didn't want to admit it. And two, I think that she was hoping that her words would be enough to want to make this man of God want to give up and quit. And unfortunately, she was right. Because Elijah was burned out and failed to look within at his emotional, spiritual, uh, physical state of being, he was easily able to forget and look out at God's plan and purpose for his life. He failed to look out because he was too busy listening to the wrong message from the wrong person instead of listening to the powerful perspective and the right message from the most powerful God of the universe. Because Elijah was burned out and failed to look within, because he listened to the wrong message and the wrong person, this caused him to lose sight of God's vision and purpose for his life. He became depressed. He became hopeless, discouraged, and Elijah wanted to give up. But listen to how God graciously responds to Elijah in the midst of his burnout and his big mistake of losing the vision and purpose that God had for his life. Picking up on verse five. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. He got up, ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. In the midst of Elijah's burnout and depression and his failure to look out at God's vision and purpose for his life, 
God graciously responds to Elijah by providing him a time of rest and refreshment. Instead of giving him a sermon, correction, or placing blame or shame on him for his response, God simply allows Elijah to fall asleep, and he allows him to find peace, even though his world was raging inside of him and around him. This next part of the story, I think, is really incredible. God then sends an angel to wake him up and to feed him with fresh baked bread and cool, refreshing water. This was actually the same meal that God provided to Elijah in 1 Kings 17 when he was hungry through a widow. God was trying to get Elijah to look up at him and to remember his faithfulness and care for him in the past. But because Elijah failed to look within, he couldn't look up and see out what God was trying to do for him in the present. In verse 7, we discover who this angel really was. It says that it was the angel of the Lord. And many commentators believe that in this particular instant, the angel of the Lord was none other than Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus says to this burned out and depressed prophet. He says in verse seven to Elisha, get up and eat. This journey is too much for you. In other words, Jesus is telling him that he cannot keep running and headed the direction that he is in his own power and strength. Jesus is trying to get Elijah to look up. Again, Jesus was trying to get Elijah's attention to help him look out so that he could look out and see God's vision and purpose for his life. So strengthened by these two meals from Jesus, Elijah takes the next 40 days and 40 nights in order to head to Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai. This journey to Sinai is significant for a couple of reasons. Firstly, Mount Sinai by foot was actually only a 10-day journey from where Elijah was. For somebody who was such in a hurry to put distance between him and Jezebel, Elijah sure took his sweet time to enter into the presence of the mountain of God. And secondly, Mount Sinai was a significant place in the Old Testament. It's where we read that Moses was given the Ten Commandments from God and where Moses himself saw the face of God and was able to live. Mount Sinai was known by the people of Israel, but especially the prophet Elijah, to be a place where the power and presence of God lived. You see, I believe that Elijah purposely took this 40-day and 40-night trip journey as an opportunity for self-reflection. Before he was able to look up at God, he first had to come to terms with what was happening inside of him. And while it probably didn't feel like it, God was with Elijah and was leading him every step of the way. Again, in the midst of his brokenness, listen to how God graciously responds to his prophet again in order to help him look up so that he can look out and live out his plan and purpose for his life. This is verse nine. And the word came, the Lord, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, turned down, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. While Elijah was coming to terms with his burnout and depression, God asked Elijah the simple question, 
what are you doing here? In other words, God is saying to him, what are you doing here, Elijah, at Sinai, instead of being in Israel and living out all that I've called and asked you to do? God really wasn't seeking information from Elijah because he knew this prophet's heart better than he did himself. Instead, I think God was graciously inviting Elijah in the midst of this depression and discouragement to freely express his pain and frustration to him. In this moment, God graciously listens to Elijah and allows him to express his feelings. And while what Elijah was saying wasn't necessarily reality, it was still his reality, and God knew that. Instead of saying to him, Elijah, snap out of your depression, or what you're saying, thinking, or feeling is foolish. Instead, God invites Elijah out of his cave of darkness in order to look up at him so that he could give him a greater perspective. God wanted to get Elijah's eyes off his Jezebel and his feelings and circumstances so that he could refocus them onto him. God sends a mighty wind, an earthquake, and fire from heaven in Elijah's direction. But these verses say that God was not in any of those things. But then we read that God sends a gentle whisper to him. Interestingly enough, this phrase, gentle whisper, only appears two other times in the Old Testament, and in both times, like in this instant. It's mentioned in the context of finding rest and refreshment, refreshment in the midst of pain, depression, and fear. The text says that God was in this gentle whisper, and Elijah knew it because he covered his face instantly as soon as he heard it. In this particular moment, even in the midst of Elijah's depression and discouragement, God wanted Elijah to look up in order to give him a renewed perspective of, of his power and presence in his life. God wanted Elijah to know that he was in the smallest and the darkest details of his life. In verses 15 through 18, God tells Elijah to go back the way he came so that he can get back into the game. Specifically, he tells him to go and anoint three different people. And one of them would be the prophet Elisha, who would become Elijah's best friend, right-hand man, and future replacement. After looking in and looking up, Elijah is finally able to look out. Listen to verses 19 through 21. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What you say is good. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then they sat out together, and Elisha ministered to Elijah. What these verses tell us is that immediately after his encounter at Sinai, in which Elijah looked up to God, he began to look out and live out God's vision and purpose for his life. Instead of running away before from what God asked him to do and giving up on God's plan for his life, we actually we read that Elijah walks almost 350 miles to this place where Elisha was. You see, the road to recovery for Elijah from his burnout and depression was taking step by step God's road of obedience for his life. It's really interesting to consider and think about what was going on in Elijah's mind when he went on that 350-mile journey in order to live out God's plan and purpose for his life. While this is all conjecture, 
Again, here's what I think. I think that he was replaying everything that took place three weeks before when he was running away from God's plan and purpose for his life and wanted to give up. I think that this 350-mile journey was therapeutic because it forced him and caused him to look in and remember his condition of burnout and depression and how God sent an angel to take care of him. I think that Elijah reflected on when he looked up in the midst of his burnout and depression and how the Lord sent him a gentle whisper to remind him of his power and presence in his life. I think that by looking within and by looking up on his long journey, it actually enabled Elijah to look out and obediently live out God's mission and purpose for his life. I think that this long journey for Elijah affirmed that doing what God wanted for him was absolutely worth it. You see, Elijah's road to recovery from his burnout and depression required him to look out and begin to live out in obedience all that God wanted him to do. We read that Elijah meets Elisha working on the oxen that belonged to his father in a field. And from what this tells us is that actually Elisha came from a family from wealthy means. And we see Elijah goes up to Elisha and he puts his cloak around him as a way to signify that he was asking Elijah to follow him and live out with him God's plan and mission for his life as a prophet. In other words, he was asking Elisha to begin to live out God's unique plan and mission with him. So we read that when Elijah leaves Elisha, Elijah immediately leaves his oxen behind and he tells Elijah that he will go with him tomorrow after he says goodbye to his family. But soon as Elijah leaves, Elisha does something strange. He actually slaughters his two oxen that belong to him and he burns up his plowing equipment. Commentators note that this is significant because it symbolizes that Elisha was willing to sacrifice his financial future and his own agenda in order to live out what God wanted him to do. Elisha was declaring that he was willing to let go of his past so that he could live out what God was wanting him to to do in the present. Elijah's road to obedience, Elisha's road to obedience began when he looked out and let go of his past and plans so that he could live out God's plan and purpose for him today. And then this story ends with Elijah and Elisha looking out and living out together God's plan and vision for their lives. In conclusion, Elijah's big mistake was that he allowed his burnout and depression get the best of him. But the lesson that we can learn from his life is that in order to overcome burnout and depression, we need to take the time to look in, look up, and look out if we're going to live out God's vision and purpose for our lives. So let's consider how these three things play out in our lives. Firstly, in order to overcome burnout and depression, we have to take the time to look in. Have you ever said or thought to yourself, Lord, I've had enough, I wanna give up. Maybe you've never felt that way before, but if you have or will someday, chances are you're either dealing with burnout or depression. And I know that we really don't take the time to talk about burnout and depression in the church, but the reality is, it's not a matter of if we'll ever experience those things as Christians, it's actually only a matter of when. And as Christians, we need to be prepared to to know how to respond when we have those seasons of intense burnout and depression. And thankfully, God gives us an example here through the life of Elijah of what we're supposed to do. I think it's really important for us to grow in this concept of emotionally healthy spirituality. This idea of trying to grow and and become like Jesus in in our entire heart, 
mind, and soul. And the quest to emotional, healthy spirituality, it actually requires us to take the time to look in and to truly discover what's going on inside of us. In other words, we need to take the time to better know ourselves so that we can better know God. And failure to do so caused Elijah to want to give up on God's plan and purpose for his life. And the same is true for us. Looking in requires us to take the time to know ourselves so that we can acknowledge our true feelings to others and to God. Likewise, part of looking in requires us to realize the causes of burnout and depression in our lives. Because when it comes to overcoming burnout and depression, knowing what causes them isn't half the battle. It is the battle. We need to remember that burnout and depression are not identical twins. Typically, the causes of burnout are in our control. But the causes of discouragement and depression are typically out of our control. And I think that's a really important distinction to make. In order to overcome burnout, we actually need to take the time to put ourselves in positions of rest and refreshment. That means that we physically need to slow down and allow ourselves to get enough sleep. It's not a sin to rest. In fact, God commands us to take a time, a Sabbath, every single part of, every single week so that we can recharge ourselves emotionally, spiritually, and physically. This also means that we eat well and that we exercise. Relationally, this means that we take a break from people that train us, but then also that we surround ourselves with people relationally who energize us. Emotionally, this means taking the time for reflection. One of the things I've been doing recently is taking the time each and every day to write down my feelings, to be able to put them on paper so that I can truly know what's going on inside of me, but then also I can give them to God. We need to be in tune with our emotions if we're ever going to overcome burnout. And spiritually, this means taking the time each and every day to spend it in God, either through the word, prayer, worship, or one of my favorite things, just being still before him. Stopping burnout, you see, is in our control. No one plans to be busy, but we need to plan times of rest and refreshment in order to look out and live out God's vision and purpose for our lives. Now, when it comes to overcoming discouragement and depression, again, we need to remember and realize what typically causes these things in our lives is usually out of our control. But there's a huge but here. How we choose to respond to them, though, is in our control. I believe like the psalmist in Psalm 143, we need to take the time to have self-awareness and discover why our souls are so heavy within us when these feelings of discouragement and depressions come. We need to ask ourselves, are we feeling down because of the circumstances of our lives? Or are we feeling down for reasons that we can't explain? For some of us, being depressed really isn't a choice at all because of different things that are going inside of our bodies. While the causes and symptoms of depression are typically out of our control, how we choose to respond to depression is. How we respond to both the battles of burnout and depression will determine if our battles with them will be won. Both burnout and depression requires us to take the time to look in and to know ourselves and their causes in order for us to truly look up and know God. Secondly, in order to combat burnout and depression, we need to look up. And we need to remember where Jesus is in the midst of our brokenness and our pain. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus longs to meet us in our brokenness. Listen to what he says to us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. For many of us who follow Jesus, this verse has simply become a catchy saying that we put on bumper stickers or even worse in coffee mugs instead of an actual way of life. In order for Jesus to meet us in the midst of our brokenness and pain, we actually need to invite, ask, and allow him into these different areas of our life. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus wants to meet us in the reality of our pain and suffering so that he can make us aware of the reality of his presence in our lives, even in the midst of it. Jesus, like he did for Elijah, he longs to care for each of us in the midst of our burnout and depression. But the only question is, will he allow him to take care of us? You see, looking up requires us to admit to God that we need his help in the midst of the pain and the chaos of life. Another thing that we need to consider when it comes to looking up and overcoming our burnout and depression is that we need to always remember that heaven has a plan for us. Have you ever had a Sinai moment? You know, those times where life's been hard and busy and painful, and you somehow experience God's powerful presence in your life, maybe through a gentle whisper or through a huge act of display of God's mercy. For me, I can remember my Sinai experience that happened a couple years ago. I've had many, but one in particular stands out. It was during a really busy season of life and ministry. I really felt like when it came to ministry, my life was on the mountain. I saw God do so many incredible things like Elijah in the lives of students. But personally, I felt like I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death because my wife and I, we lost a child due to entopic pregnancy. And I just remember getting to this point of not realizing that I was burned out and depressed. And I remember having an honest conversation with God where I was like, God, I don't know what's going on inside of me, but if I'm gonna feel this way, I don't wanna keep moving forward. In fact, I said, God, I wanna give up on ministry. So I remember that I was gonna head towards my Mount Sinai, which was this bench facing a lake at the school where both Sarah and I went to college. And on my way there, again, I had an honest conversation with God. I said, God, if you care, if you're real, if you're with me right now and you want me to stay in ministry, speak to me. As soon as I pulled on campus, I kid you not, a song came on a secular radio station with the following lyrics that went, my father said, don't you worry, don't you worry, child. See, heaven has a plan for you. Don't you worry, don't you worry now. Heaven has a plan for you. You see, in the midst of my burnout, discouragement, and depression, God whispered his vision and purpose for my life through the loudness of a secular song on the radio. If you're burned out, if you're discouraged, if you've lost hope, if you want to give up, hold on, because God wants you to look up. He wants to whisper to your heart that heaven has a plan for you. He wants you to see your purpose. He wants you to see the vision and the plan that he has for his life but please take the time right now to look up and we need to ask God and give him room to reveal his power and presence in our life. He's speaking and whispering his love and affection to us all the time, but we have to put ourselves in the position to actually hear what he's trying to say to us. Lastly, looking up requires us to remember that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to allow our brokenness to get in the way of the vision and the purpose that God has for us. 
While suffering from burnout and depression can be a reality, we cannot allow the reality of our brokenness get in the way of God's reality for us. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief or Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that you might have abundant life and experience it to the full. You see, Satan would like nothing more for each of us to live in our brokenness, in our pain, in our, in our burnout and depression, to live defeated by these things. Because he knows that when we choose to dwell in the brokenness of our burnout and depression, we actually choose to, de- choose to deny ourselves from the freedom and life that Jesus wants to give us. While looking up requires us to be honest and real about our pain and the need for God's help, it also requires us to take action and to make, to make the personal decision that we're not gonna allow our burnout depression get the best of us. It involves us clinging to the power and the promise of God to keep moving forward no matter what. We need to look in and we need to look up in order for us to look out and live out God's plan and purpose for our lives. Lastly, in order to overcome burnout and depression, we have to look out. You see, Elijah's road to recovery from burnout and depression required him to look out and then choose to obediently live out all that God asked him to do. This wasn't easy for Elijah. As I mentioned before, he had to walk 350 miles from, the Mount, from Mount Sinai just to complete what God wanted him to do. But he chose to keep his eyes fixed on God and he made the personal decision to keep moving forward in order to live out God's plan and purpose for his life no matter what. The same is true for us. The road to recovery, while not easy from our burnout and depression, requires us to look out and obediently choose to live out God's plan and purpose for our lives. Spiritual obedience to God's plan and purpose for our lives can only happen when we choose to keep our eyes fixed on Him. And when we make the personal decision to keep spiritually moving forward, no matter what is going on inside of us and around us, I have come to discover that faith and obedience are not feelings. You see, faith and obedience are not feelings. But instead, there are a series of decisions and choices that we make in which we choose to take God at his word and choose to live out what his word is asking us to do, no matter what. Simply put, I believe that the road to recovery from our burnout and depression requires us to look up and to obediently live out God's plan and purpose for our lives, no matter what. Secondly, looking out like Elisha in the story requires us to let go of our past and put it behind us so that we can live out what God wants us to do right now in the present. Again, this was no easy task for Elisha. Pretty much, God was asking Elisha to let go of everything that he knew that was comfortable and a certain future. And I think sometimes when it comes to burnout and depression, they can become really familiar things in our lives. And if we're aware of them, chances are we don't want to admit that one, we don't want to let them go. And a lot of times we don't even want to admit that we're struggling with them. But in order for us to live out what God has called us to do, we need to be willing to let go of those things, regardless of how hard that can be. What I absolutely love about Jesus is that he never asks us to give up something or to to leave behind something that he himself won't personally replace. When we're willing to let go, we are able to receive more of what God has for us. Looking out, and lastly, looking out and living out God's plan and purpose for our lives also requires us to reach out to others because we can't do it on our own. 
this story ends with this beautiful picture of God in his mercy providing Elijah with a new friend, best friend in Elisha. And while Elijah was supposed to be the one that ministered and trained Elisha, we read at the end of the story in verse 21 that God actually used Elisha in that moment to minister to his new best friend. The same is true for us. I don't think we can overcome burnout and depression or even make it through life without the help of other people. Listen to these wise words from Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. They say this, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other person can reach out and help. But someone who falls all alone is in real trouble. The world tells us that we can do anything we want if we just try on our own. And burnout and depression tell us that we're all alone, that we shouldn't let other people know that we're struggling. And unfortunately, these so-called truths are lies and they are bad news. And while we can't overcome burnout and depression on our own strength, the good news of the gospel is that we believe in a God who can help us overcome these things. And he's given us the chance and the gift of asking others for help. If you're struggling today with burnout and depression, can I encourage you? Can I challenge you? Can I plead with you to reach out to somebody else? Maybe today, God is asking you to reach out to a trusted friend or family member. Maybe that's your significant other and just simply having a time of honesty and just being like, I'm not okay. Maybe today God is calling you to maybe do something that you never thought was a good idea or you thought only crazy people did, but maybe God is calling you to reach out to a counselor. Personally, I believe every single Christian should see a counselor at some point in their life. And if you'd like to just talk to somebody and you need a safe place for somebody to listen to you, Know that we have a team of people at Door Creek that would love to meet you at wherever you're at just to offer encouragement, but most importantly, a listening ear. And maybe you're doing okay in these areas of burnout and depression, but you still have isolated yourself from other people. Can I encourage you, can I challenge you to consider joining a life group here at Door Creek? Life groups are the main way in which we encourage you guys to get connected with other people. They can help you grow and encouraging you in not only your spiritual journey, but also your personal journey as you face the challenges of life. Whatever the case may be, in order to live out God's plan and purpose for our lives, we need to be willing to reach out and ask for help from God and others. As we close today, it's important to remember that in our battle of depression and burnout, our faith becomes out of focus when we don't take the time to look in, look up, and look out. When it comes to looking in, is God calling you to take the time for you to better know yourself so that you can better know him and his plan for your life? When it comes to looking up, is God calling you to put yourself in a position to hear his gentle whisper and to remember that heaven has a plan for you? And when it comes to looking out and obediently living out God's plan and purpose for your life, Is he calling you to reach out to somebody else that can help you in your journey? Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the example of Elijah. I thank you, God, that you didn't blot out his story. I thank you, God, that you are a real God who wants to meet us in the reality of our pain. Lord Jesus, regardless of of where we're at today, I just pray, God, that we would see your light shine in our lives especially if there's a lot of darkness in it. 
And so God, as we leave this place, may we all be motivated and challenged to look in so that we can better know ourselves, so we can better know you. May we be challenged, God, to, to look up and be reminded that you have a plan for our lives. And God, as we look out, may we be willing to reach out so that we can obediently do all that you want for us. So God, be with us as we leave and meet us right where we are. In your precious and holy name, amen.